um, just in the 20th century, you don't decide that you want to run away from the top. The difference is that in the 19th century, before you were to sea, you would have had at least some understanding of what the element was that you were dealing with, and you would have perhaps said, look, swim. The thing is that there is no man that has a coat with bank. So you'll get some otherwise likable young person who has done one good comic book, one good film, one good record, who is suddenly told that they are a genius and who believes it and who runs out sort of laughing as much as you could a celebrity and whose heroine solid corpse is washed up a few weeks later in the shallows of the tablets. <laughs> All right, that time again, straight out of Shumway, your boy Rocco, king size muscle, local six 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 two sixty nine podcast. Yeah, baby, from the mindscape of Alan Moore, always fantastic, Alan Moore, always on point. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to see the mindscape of Alan Moore, now look for the links on the webpage. I'll hook you up there. It's on YouTube. It's uh, worth watching. I watched it uh, many years ago, and I, I watch it sort of repeatedly and always get something new out of it. Speaking of something uh, new, today I just spent the last two hours trying to find the uh, last resting place of uh, cartoonist, illustrator, um, maybe prophet <laughs> of Vancouver, Washington's own uh, Basil Wolverton. He's buried here in the Park Cemetery, uh, Park Hill Cemetery. And um, a few people I've known have, have visited the, the headstone. Um, so I was gonna go out there and drop a pin, a GPS pin, even though I know what section it is in, and also uh, what plot number it is, but I went on, on Today, a Saturday, there's no staff available. So I'm going to go back later in the week. So after stepping on many graves for about two hours, finally the rain said, dude, go home. You got stuff to do. So there it is. Um, Basil Wolverton is important to me, uh, of course, because of my love of Mad Magazine as a child. And I would say a lot of my humor uh, to this day is still based in the satire that I learned from what me worry. And so anybody that uh, grew up on Mad Magazine understands the concept pretty well. Uh, maybe uh, some of you ended up with Cracked, like my cousins, they got Cracked because Mad Magazine was too uh, subversive, but Cracked was a little bit lighter, if you remember. Um, and so that was always kind of a, a funny point of contention between me and, and peers. They're old people, as they say. It's like, did you read Mad or did you read Cracked? And as soon as I hear that, I, I can begin to quickly thin slice what's going on in the childhood in that case. Uh, make some assumptions. Anyway, it's kind of like using Rocky Horror Picture Show as a vibe check. And I definitely, I would say, if I'm going to get involved with uh, other human beings sometime in the future, then I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out a, a way to check their character alignment. Um, without sort of saying, hey, check your character alignment, because I think it's it's too easy to skew a little bit. But So I'm going to try to uh, develop my own sort of uh, Q&A 
process for determining uh, people's character uh, alignment. Again, uh, I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons guy, but I do believe in the metrics that are available for character alignment. And if you can show me what someone's morality is, essentially uh, how they play a game or how they go through life, you can show me their value. If you show me their value, then I know what they believe. And if I know what they believe, then I kind of know what kind of person they are. And it's hard these days because many people mask, especially people that are neurodivergent, um, the influx of uh, narcissists that this social media platform culture that we have is definitely pumping up that narcissistic character trait economy, I would say. Um, I mean, what's more narcissistic than this process here? I'm literally watching myself here on what looks like a television that I grew up with and watching myself uh, talk with the background, of course, of the white rabbit who we like to follow uh, as an inside joke, uh, dealing with uh, the concepts that we are interested in, in getting out of the rat race and creating a life for ourselves that is amazing. Because that's where we should be, right? We should be working on our life uh, as a, not a work in progress, but as a uh, work in success, right? And so we're just refining the process until we get to that point. So someone like uh, Basil Wolverton, whose grave is nearby, essentially, is a way for me to call on those that have gone before us. The fact that his artwork was somewhat outsider and was a precursor to a lot of what we would call underground comics. Um, you know, some of his images were extremely garish uh, for its time. He produced an incredibly large volume of work, including a lot of religious work uh, because he was basically supported by um, a church that he was affiliated with. And so like R. Crumb, he has, uh, made some cartoon books or illustrated books of, of the Bible. Um, but anybody knows anything about Basil Wolverton knows that um, his artwork is, is phenomenal. It's definitely uh, unique and special and extremely detailed. And I'd like to get some of that vibe. Now, I was a bit put off by the fact that I couldn't find the, the headstone. Even though I had a picture of the headstone, I had a, uh, a plot number, but I didn't, I didn't have an accurate plot map. So I was in the right section, but I'm sure I walked right past it. I definitely want to bring a whisk broom next time because there's, you know, I cut the grass and it covers up a lot of the headstones. Uh, I wandered far enough into the section until I got to the Russian section. So you know, we have a, a pretty huge Russian contention here in the Couve, uh, the other Vancouver here in Washington State. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the people that uh, circumvented the globe uh, many years ago and ended up landing in Vancouver instead of Portland because they don't want their plane to apart. And um, it's funny, it's sort of like the, their cousins in China, the sort of the, the post-Soviet collapse is like, you know, where do we go? Well, we know Vancouver, Washington, let's go there. So the diaspora sort of shows up and then it, it magnifies. So I was shocked to see there's so many graves in Cyrillic. Now granted, some are also Ukrainian, of course, um, and I don't know enough about the language to, to differentiate aside from I know they have different grammar and some different uh, pronunciations of characters. I should know. I should know, considering everything that's going on, create some opportunity for me if I jumped in there linguistically and, and sort of could fake it till I make it. So 
uh, oftentimes, even though I would say for myself, I don't want to be buried, I prefer to be cremated. Um, I think it's a waste of resources. But obviously, he's a sign of the time. He was buried in 1978 and uh, doesn't seem to be like a really large headstone, uh, but it does have a signature on it and so forth. And I was going to bring him a beer, just hang out, see what he had to say, right? Why not? I'm sure it's all in my mind, but that's okay. Um, it worked for the Pixies, right? The other thing that we do on Saturdays is uh, sip and sketch at Monami Cafe here on Main Street. And uh, Pop Octopus, who's uh, some of the artwork that you've seen uh, in my posts, uh, is kind of the, the master cylinder there. And so uh, we go down there from 1030 to noon and, and some other artists come by on occasion and we sketch and draw and sort of exchange notes and things like that. It's it's good to have a little bit of in real life uh, communion with people of like-minded um, styles and so forth. And, and not everybody that participates is insane or avant-garde like myself, but uh, there's actually some pretty, pretty normal artists there as well. So if you like to sketch or you're interested in drawing those kind of things um, and you're in the area, come by. It's good coffee, it's, you know, good food in there. It's a, a vegetarian stuff, I think. Uh, there's lots of artwork on the walls, and uh, it's great for people watching, and we just kind of take over a table and uh, hang out and just work on things that we're working on. Um, there's a couple amazing uh, comic book illustrators that actually are top-notch that show up on occasion, and it's amazing to see them work as well. Um, if it wasn't for a sip and sketch, we probably wouldn't have, have built this concept of local 666269 because the joke was on the first day is, you know, of the difference between creatives and non-creatives. And those that are non-creatives, they look at us and think, are you a wizard? And so that went to the meme. And from the meme, we, they said, well, why wizards? We need to have witches too, right? And warlocks and sorcerers. And so, well, geez, let's, let's make the umbrella even bigger. And so we just called it local 666269, uh, you know, like a guild, right? Like a union, organization, strength in numbers. Um, again, it's to put out the vibe as, as a union thug myself. Um, and, you know, I prefer only working union jobs because I think you need to have a contract with your employer, you know, what you're going to do and what they're going to do. And, and, and that has to be an agreement because I always make more money on those kind of gigs. And so, it's what needs to happen, especially now in our current economy and situation. But I think the people are so buffaloed and bullied by the moral traffic lights of being homeless and everything else that they are sometimes afraid to tell their boss to kiss their ass. Um, I've probably have walked off more jobs uh, in my lifetime than most people. Uh, probably Bukowski might be the only other person that might be ahead of me when he did work before he was uh, sponsored by his publisher. Not that I was an alcoholic or anything like that. It just, I could perceive oftentimes situations where when you work for somebody, not only are they trading you, you have to trade them. And it's no different than any other relationship of, you know, what you're willing to sort of uh, do and what you're willing uh, to put up with and so forth. And oftentimes uh, people that are ass clowns that are supervisors or bosses or whatever else will, will, are actually not very good leaders per se. They might be micromanagers or power trippers or somebody that got pushed up before they were ready. And 
uh, oftentimes they try to rain down on, on those things that uh, maybe are a bit different or something like that. Now, because I'm always in a constant state of, of either putting on weight or taking down weight, and I have to eat on a certain schedule. And so if I'm, I'm doing something for somebody, you know, I don't let that interfere. And so there's been times in the past where somebody said, hey, you can't eat here at this time. You got to go take a break or whatever else. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. This is this is nutrition. This is my body. If you want me to hold down this spot, then this is how it's going to be. And, and sometimes people are OK with that. They understand. Uh, oftentimes people, especially here in Washington State, uh, when I was here about six years ago, I had a a guy tell me, well, you know, it's a right to work state. I said, well, fuck, then it means it's a right to quit state too, motherfucker. So either talk nice or you're going to be driving this fucking truck tonight as I was uh, driving a truck at the time. A panel there, actually, I should say. Uh, so again, it's one of these things where you get some sawed off little shit that wants to, you know, uh, try to run you around because, you know, he goes home and his wife beats the shit out of him. So when it comes to work, he's got he to off put that that I'm the big boss, that LDE comes out, you know, as he pulls up in his big, big old truck. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't, don't work for people like that. Uh, if it's not your culture, it'll cause you a lot of problems. Uh, why are we dark here, folks? Light it up. So anything that you can do to compose some sort of construct of your own making related to your creativity, whether it is practicing something like the craft or spirituality, maybe religion, uh, some nature of, of a belief system, I think is important. Because if we are going to break down uh, our being or our essence into a, a spiritual body, like the soul or whatever else, the energy into the uh, physical body, but there's sort of an external physical body and an internal physical body. Uh, obviously, the internal is uh, on autopilot. It's controlled mostly by the hypothalamus. Um, it is sort of what we are given through our genetics uh, as a species, and it actually has a lot, a lot in there, especially the genetic code that we're not aware of. The sort of outer physique, we have a little bit more uh, control over. We can apply uh, different sort of principles like, like muscle hypertrophy, uh, you know, putting on muscle, uh, recomposition either gaining weight, taking weight off, those kind of things. You can see I'm kind of flexing my shoulders and traps because they're really starting to come in as of late because I've been concentrating on them, trying to build up that uh, mind-muscle connection as I'm doing it. It's not one of my sort of habits, even after all these years of throwing around weights since I was probably 12 years old. Um, so I definitely have got some old-ass muscle memory in some areas. Um, you know, being in junior high and moving refrigerators and stuff for my old man, uh, definitely, you know, put some bulk on me. And so when I first uh, got into high school, you know, they wanted me to play football. I was already kind of beyond that aspect. You know, um, I had a bad experience in junior high with a jock strap situation, but, you know, uh, I was staying with my mom and my stepdad at the time. And, uh, you know, we were, super poor and so in order to participate in the sporting event i think i had to have a jock strap so i i didn't even know what a jock strap was guys that's how, how shelter i was in this case i think hell i might not even have underwear at that time I barely had socks i think i had a pair of cowboy boots or combat boots that i used to wear you know the wrong side of the tracks you know growing up rough and so uh 
I mean, I remember the fucking coach being pissed off at me for not having a jack strap. And that, that really kind of stuck with me. It's like, dude, you know, I just fucking played my fucking heart out out here in the field, and, you know, did really well. And you're mad because now I'm taking a shower and I didn't have a jack strap. What the fuck is that about? So uh, I already sort of began to get apprehensive about organized sports um, because of the mentality that's sometimes involved. Uh, that's why I gravitated to things like uh, weightlifting and martial arts where, you know, you're a one-man gang. Uh, the team is you. And, and the coach oftentimes is you. It's on you in that case. A bit selfish, sure. But you have to develop those systems that work with your capabilities, uh, whether you're on medication or not for ADHD. And obviously, uh, I went diagnosed for nearly over 50 years. Uh, definitely probably started showing signs about the time my parents got divorced. A lot of it is probably trauma response as well. PTSD, I mean, it's their, their sort of lineup in certain areas. I think if you are inclined to be neurodivergent and then you add in the, the formulation of uh, poverty and trauma and all that other stuff like that, I mean, it's only gonna carve those uh, bicambrial um, regions even deeper and those neurons will be even deeper. So now the latter part of my life, of course, has been trying to break up those neural pathways and form new neural pathways, as they say, you know, the, the generational curse breaker, right? You know, if I'd gotten married and had children, and, you know, got a, a regular job or whatever else, I'd be going through the same motions as, as my ancestors for, for the most part. And, you know, probably being somewhat similar to how I am now, which is three quarters of an ass. And the only difference is that I would, you know, let me take it out of my wife and my kids. Um, and so uh, that's not a good option for somebody uh, in any sense, whether you're the person doing it or the person receiving it. So like, luckily for me, I dodged that bullet. Now that I'm 53, and going out solo now, not anticipating uh, experiencing separation or a gray divorce at this time. But, you know, Dan Aykroyd is the uh, same thing, but he's also uh, still legally married, but uh, getting along with his wife, but they're separated. Uh, many other people sort of the same as well. And for about a year, I was always bragging about that, you know, Bill Gates one of the richest men in the world, you know, couldn't have a happy marriage, couldn't complete a marriage. And so at least I had that on it. Now I don't have that either. And again, that's uh, a lot of it has to do with how authentic I want to be as a person, as a significant other, as a husband, as a friend, as a lover and so forth. Yes, people do change as they get older. That's part of it. And I think the panini, the pandemic, or the panini, as we like to say, the shit panini, uh, the COVID shit panini. <laughs> do you nibble on it? Do you take one big bite? But it's a shit sandwich, right? So mm -hmm. either either way is not good. If you had to, had to eat a shit sandwich, and a lot of times you have to in life, and I think that's part of the problem is that sometimes uh, younger folks, they haven't developed a taste for shit sandwiches because life has not been so shitty to them yet. Uh, for the rest of the gang that's grown up the hard way, we're growing up keeping it real. They were all too familiar with shit sandwiches. And so the concept of a shit sandwich is just a bad situation. Do we, again, 
if we have to consume this motherfucker, do we do we nibble on it, and make it last, or do we just take big bites and get get it done? I think you have to decide for yourself. You know, when the the flaming ball of shit is coming at you, you know, fucking lean into it. Um, that's my best advice. Now, I've been in some some pretty hairy situations in my lifetime because, as people said, man, you've kind of lived. And I said, yeah, I have, because I wanted to. And so I put myself in those lowest situations and, and those things that were sketchy, dangerous, whatever else, putting myself in harm's way. Um, you just lean into it and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to survive this just, just out of spite sometimes, just even to spite yourself. Um, and at this point I'm determined to live as long as I can um, because the farther that I go ahead, the, the more that sort of, evaporate about around me especially uh you know people that i looked up to people that i liked they're all going uh, a lot of the peers that i grew up with they're sort of already gone because they you know never sort of got out of the situation they're in and they just grew up with a lot more stress and pesticides and everything else cancer runs pretty high a lot of people that i went to high school with um and you don't have to be uh, Aaron Brockovich to, to make the connection between the farming and the uh, chemicals that are in the valley uh, where I went to high school and then the amount of disease. And I can't believe there hasn't been a class action or a civil suit. And that's probably because there's only a handful of, of uh, large farming contingencies that pretty much control everything down there. So uh, it would take, take a pretty, pretty powerful legal team to take them on. And it will happen eventually because people will realize that the reason why they have so much disease and so forth in that area is because of what they've been putting into the land and the water and so on. So it is what it is. And so you don't have to take it. You can always push back. So when you build these coordinates for yourself of, of not so much masking per se, but trying to set up a situation where you can't produce content or art or creation in a way that is that is satisfying it feels good and it's becomes a lot easier to be automatic to set up things so that you can have it whether you're building your studio or keeping your uh, content uh, lined up with what you're collecting your research whatever it is and once you focus just on that, then it gets easier to sort of replicate it. Now, there's two pathways, of course. There is the monetization, which is, you know, we'd be stupid to say that um, some people are not doing this in order to, you know, make some money, make some coin. Uh, you know, how much is enough? A little bit more. And so if someone uh, appreciates what you make and they are willing to pay for it, and if you're good at what you're doing, then I'd say get it. On the other hand, uh, that that ego part of like, oh, I got to make this thing that you know I know is going to sell or whatever else. That's that's where we we join back up with Alan Moore and saying that the true artist gives the audience what they need, not what they want. And so that's sort of the difference between maybe an artist and, and someone who is uh, uh, selling a, a product. Uh, in this case, uh, just a business person. I think you can ride both horses. I really do. And I think you kind of have to in some stages of the process, meaning that, you know, if you can sell some stuff on the side that people like and they want, then if you get the process down where you can you know, sort of, as, as uh, 
my buddy Pop Octopus says, make the sausage, where you just churn it out and you're getting it out there and been able to sell it. On the other hand, your, your stuff that, that flows through you, the, the, the stuff that comes from the muses or comes from the ether that comes through your antenna and ends up on your canvas or your screen or in your musical instrument or whatever else, anybody that's, that's touched that knows exactly what I'm talking about, how juicy that is. You are, you are just a conduit for the words, for the lyrics, for the music, for the images, whatever it may be, you are the one that is the carrier that bringing it into the world. And that's an awesome feeling, especially when people also gravitate to it or respond to it. Then you realize that that message wasn't just for you, it was also for the audience. As I said, giving the audience what they need, not what they want. And sometimes the audience needs to be shaken up. Sometimes the audience needs to be punched in the fucking face. They're kicked in the ass. And sometimes they need to have some aftercare. They need to be cuddled and held. Uh, that's really sort of up to the audience now, isn't it? So anything that we construct in this realm of maybe what we consider the art for ourselves or art uh, for the sake of art, not, not money or fame or fortune or that shit, we maybe have a tendency to hold it up to a higher sort of standard in the way that we process it, the way that we produce it. If that's the case, then we'd have to sort of allow ourselves to make those happy mistakes, especially if we are transmuting uh, the creative power or force or energy through us as the conduit. And sometimes it will not be exactly perfect. There can be many effective variables, just like in learning language. There could be things that maybe prevent you from, from acquiring the full effect, you know, uh, could be things like the crosstalk or cross noise or influence. You know, people that work with watercolors sometimes have a lot of happy accidents because maybe their paint is too runny, um, too much water or vice versa, maybe not enough. And you have to sort of adapt in real time uh, with what you're doing as, uh, as a painter or an artist in that case. Same thing for myself in digital design. Oftentimes, uh, happy experiments often will yield the best results. But that's because I'm willing to explore. And going through the exploratory process is extremely useful because it allows you to perfect maybe your skills in other areas. It also allows you to go on a sort of quest, a journey for yourself of discovery of what you will and won't accept. I know a lot of people are apprehensive about, about art in the sense that they don't feel comfortable enough with their ability. Don't let that stop you in any of these things. If part of our lot here being sort of a cybernetic organism that is a human and sort of controlled by some kind of other uh, programming in our mind or situation or DNA, we're here to have a physical experience of some, some kind. And I think the juicier version of that is when we take control of that physical body and put it into action. And for me, the focus is art because that's what helps to express my values. And it's an easy way to access things that I enjoy in this lifetime. And also a way of dealing with things that traumatized me or scared me or frightened me. 
whatever it may be, I can I can commit those crimes just like John Waters with my art. And when people ask me like why I'm so laid back or down to earth, which I always think means I'm dirt, or because we all know I'm just dirty. Um, you know, it's like, oh, you're down to earth. Like, what are you saying? I'm dirt. It's it's that that center of gravity that I've developed for myself that I can project because of the fact that that I have a direction for myself as an artist in the sense that I want to produce uh, things that are needed by people and also giving some people what they want. That's very grounding for me. Uh, as, as crazy and as, as frustrated as I can get sometimes, I will say that I am a lot more <laughs> relaxed <laughs> as Han Solo now. Um, I'm sure that is a placebo effect in my mind because I'm not changing my behavior around my ex-wife at any given time to adjust or walking on eggshells in my own house. Again, it's all my doing. I take complete responsibility whether or not she has narcissistic traits. Uh, I think women do probably a bit more than men, and that's really not on them either. That's because of the system that we have created for women when it comes to things like makeup and fashion in competition with other women. And um, for them, I think the, the entropy on their physicality for our judgment of, of what is an attractive or good looking woman, the shelf life on that sometimes is minimized. It can be minimized by a bad marriage. It can be minimized by uh, a parcel of kids, whether they're good kids or rotten kids. It can be, uh, just getting older. We look at Hollywood, we look at the models in Hollywood, we, we don't see a lot of actresses that are sort of, you know, middle-aged and beyond. It's, it's only a handful where they go from playing the lead to, to then playing the mom and then later on the grandma, and there's not a lot of leeway in there. And so that, that image, I think, in our culture of women being beautiful as they're older is minimized because that, that that doesn't sell enough product. It would be better to sort of prohibit or hide that away and, and continue that relationship that our culture or our commodity consumer disposable culture has developed with, with women, with the aspect of, of makeup and all the other stuff that we think they should have, you know, from it's a lot. Think about it. Go, go. If anybody here lives with a significant other who's female, go in the bathroom, open up the cabinet, and nine times out of ten, you're going to find all kinds of different product and stuff that you've never heard of or even thought about. Um, as most as most sort of males, you are a bit myopic in our vision, you know, out of mind, out of sight. So we just don't see those things. Hell, I was with my wife for uh, maybe four years before I realized she colored her hair never occurred to me. Uh, I just always thought that was the color of her hair, right? Uh, another lady that had uh, come over, uh, she was an uh, American teacher teaching in Taiwan, a friend of mine, because um, Taiwan was one of the places we're thinking about going. She came out of the restroom and then started asking my wife about the, the hair color. And hell, it never occurred to me that that was hair color in there. That's how clueless I am about these things because it didn't involve me, right? So. There's a lot of pressure, I think, that's put on the female side of the population. So I'm, I'm happy when I see the rough and the ready 
the natural, uh, the mom bod, the, the power lifter, the strong woman, the athlete woman, the down and dirty uh, woman that's doing her thing. Otherwise, if, if they're going to do the makeup thing, then I, I want the other extreme. I want the sort of the, the cosplay effect, like overdo it, right? So this is an indication of, of, of my sort of style about things, right? It's either it's either very subtle or fucking in your face. Uh, I'm like climate change. I'm extreme. And it's just the way that I have been. And perhaps that, that puts me into too much of a deeper a binary response to a lot of things. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my sort of uh, understanding or acquisition from my own experience uh, with the women around me and, and what I've seen as I've traveled around the world and so forth. And again, these are these are generalities based on my experience. This is this is not an absolute truth. Your experience may differ. And in fact, I hope that it does differ because that means that you could tell me something different. But in my general assumption is that there is a lot of pressure that's put on, obviously, uh, how women look to be youthful, to be attractive and so forth. And the shelf life on that is not very kind. You know, um, the best example I can give you is, is what's going on, like with uh, people in my peer group, when they try to do online dating, just what a, what a disaster it is. It's such a minefield of shysty, flaky, shitty people. Um, who are obviously, obviously not very honest sometimes. And there's an extreme amount of pressure, I think, put on that swath of people in our age group. Uh, we're available to each other, but we're at the point of our lives where we're not willing to sort of put up with a lot of shit. That's one of the reasons why we're separated is because it's not so much knowing what you want, but knowing what you don't want. And that's, that's a challenge, I think. I heard that today uh, from somebody that I, I admire, and she basically had said, you know, don't don't be so revealing about what it is you're looking for. And at first I thought that was kind of off-putting. I said, I oh, should be all front. But I understood the logic from, from the female point of view is that if you're so upfront, then someone can can sort of manipulate that process and pretend to be that person and then, you know, get with you and then two, three weeks later, hey, they're the reveal is oh, they're not really into that thing. And so it's kind of like this idea of, of how your life is invitation only. And, and you got to have a way to check that vibe. And so if it means like asking somebody, do you like Rocky Horror Picture Show? As soon as I say that, I know exactly the kind of person they are, if they know what it is and how they react to it. If they love it, then I, you know, hey, you're in my tribe. You get it. You're not, you're not bugged out by uh, the scale of sexuality. You're okay with Tim Curry dressing in drag, singing that he is a, you know, beautiful transvestite from Transylvania. You know, that's, that's very impressionistic shit when you're a teenager and you're sort of like, you know, what am I doing with my sexuality? Like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, on the other hand, it might sort of clear things up for you and say, well, yeah, he looks pretty good, but that's not for me. I'm more focused on what's going on in Susan Sarandon's blouse um, in this case. <laughs> Again, it's, it's finding out what someone's ability is to enjoy themselves and how they do it. And so aside from asking about Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, I might ask again about character alignment and trying to understand how people make decisions when they're dealing with other people. 
And it's hard, I think, to get that information from, from people until the situation comes up. And so we have to create sort of scenarios or situations. And, and I think that's what is missing now from the, the aspect of dating. When I was thinking about uh, the concept of like uh, something like Tinder, not for myself, essentially uh, a relative of mine, she went through a breakup. She's much younger. She's in that demographic. And so, of course, you could jump on Tinder and, you know, it's, it's you know, meet, meet up, you know, fuck festive, uh, uh, Lollapalooza, right? Something like that. Not necessarily, but it's definitely for hooking up. And I thought, yeah, they're probably not dating. It's not, it, it is Netflix and chill. If you're lucky, you can get fucking Netflix at this point. Because, you know, where can they go? They fuck, they can't even afford to sort of live on their own. You know, it's not like you can actually host somebody, right? I mean, I'm awesome. I got this, I got this whole house to myself. I got cars, you know, and it's the opposite spectrum. You know, I could, couldn't find somebody with a rock at this point. Um, well, wait, I'm the rock. I guess I should look harder. And I don't necessarily need to find somebody at this moment because, you know, I'm just freshly separated. But there's that inclination, right? That desire, of course, it comes and goes. So I think for young people, the aspect of, of not being able to sort of date and create those scenarios where you can really find out about somebody, if you just jump right into the sack, then there is no sort of connection per se. And if you're someone who is a saposexual, who believes that the, that the, the mind or the intelligence or that connection that we can make with people is you know, equally uh, important for uh, a turn on or sexuality, and I think for a lot of women, they're, they're wired that way. That's why erotica is very effective. That's why being able to have good communication skills or be able to communicate effectively or somewhat differently in, in a way that's interesting uh, is important. You know, people will say, geez, Rock, you, you know, you've always been a fat fuck, but you always have girls around you. Um, well, one, because I enjoy hanging around them and I enjoy talking to them and chatting up and listening to them. And sometimes, of course, that would turn into something else. Uh, in my early 20s, you know, I was a monkey trying to gather up all the coconuts. It wasn't unheard of that I would be you know, seeing multiple women at the same time. A lot of that, again, is, is related to my ego and sense of, of lack, right? And so it makes me sort of greedy in that sense that I want that attention because that's been missing in my childhood aspect and not a lot of uh, motherly love or nurturing or female love. And so I'm always looking for, it. I'm always looking for that validation. And of course that's caused me difficulty in my relationships because if I'm not upfront about that aspect, then it can be misinterpreted as, as you know, something that can turn into a very jealous situation um, especially if it's if it's done unethically. Initially, I was laughing at sort of like this idea of, of ethical and non-ethical polyamory. And I thought, well, that sounds very sort of Portland kind of hipster, uh, you know, nomenclature kind of stuff. But now listening to other people talk about it, I understand why we need sort of the language to clarify what it means to be someone that might be a poly, a poly sort of person when it comes to their their partnerships. Now. There's different aspects of that as well. I mean, are they only poly with women or poly with other men or men and women in between or whatever else we can get a hold of? Are they pansexual? I mean, it's, it's just such a whole spectrum is open now. 
and how you define that for yourself. I mean, if you want to use the term or the nomenclature, then that might be helpful. But definitely, I have to say that um, I was monogamous up until the point that my wife ran off to Morocco and dumped me on the phone. And man, that just, you know, stabbed me. Um, this was several years ago. And of course, I was in a vulnerable situation, you know, used my, my, uh, connection to somebody else um, to develop something else for a few fleeting moments. And then once things sort of normalized in my marriage, I've had to acquiesce and sort of return. And not only did I, you know, break my wife's art, I broke this other person's art. You know, they don't even talk to me anymore, um, which is sad because they were awesome. <laughs> And, and only, only the only thing is I had to, the only thing I had to be is just be honest with the people involved with me. I had to be ethical and I wasn't ethical. And so that, that caused some difficulty. But again, I, I didn't make any moves until I thought that, that my relationship was at that crossroads or that juncture where I thought, okay, when you say uh, I'm done with you, I need time, I'm out of here. Uh, am I supposed to just wait around? I'm fucking hurt, right? And so that's what happens sometimes is if you get in a vulnerable situation, you don't make the best decisions for yourself. But I'm also, after that point, that was probably together for maybe 18, 19 years. You know, I was already sort of kind of had enough of this. I'm leaving you, then come back. I'm leaving you. I'm, I'm, I don't like you. I'm coming back. You know, you can't, you can't be the revolving door or a punching bag for somebody in a relationship. It's not good for you. It's definitely not good for them. It's always going to end up in a ball of shit. And so we worked it out and limped along for a couple more years until the shit sandwich uh, COVID panini came up. And I think that really concentrated our experiences. And it definitely knocked me in the dirt. I mean, I, I was super low like a lot of other people. That's, I think, when you find out, you know, when push comes to shove in your relationship, um, how solid it really is. And I think, I think with so much water under the bridge between uh, the two of us, I think there comes a point where, where people just have enough of dealing with somebody that maybe has ADHD or someone that was an alcoholic or an addict. Um, you get to the point where you're, you're so raw by, by the experience that you have no choice but to hit the, the eject button to try to preserve what's left of yourself. Um, the challenge that I'm having now, of course, is that it's sort of a limbo period. You know, yes, we want to file for a divorce. Yes, we're separated. But, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by all the stuff that we acquired together. And it, again, yeah, I've heard the argument. It's just stuff. I don't need much. OK, fine. Then why in the fuck did I get all this crap? <laughs> I got it now, right? So what do I do? You know? So these are things that you sometimes have to work out in this situation. But being as authentic as you can be and upfront as you can be, even now, I would say to, to people that, that I'm talking to is that, yes, I talk to a lot of women. Do I flirt with a lot of women? Yes, I do. Um, but I try to do it in a way that is respectful, um, a bit cheeky and not not so serious. It just just essentially trying to turn an awkward situation into a more lighthearted situation 
Obviously, it doesn't work. Sometimes it makes the awkward situation even more awkward if you're misunderstood, especially in text messages. And we can see that happening all the time is that people will read things into a comment or a text that are not present. And I oftentimes think when it gets too serious like that or there's a miscommunication, this way is much more effective. You can see the person, you can hear them, you can talk to them, you can feel sort of the, the intonation indicating what the meaning is of what they're saying. And I think a lot of these trolls that bully a lot of people online, you know, they, they need that. They crave that. And they're trying to get it. But they're doing it in a, in a really sort of reverse or odd way. And if they do get someone who will engage with them, then they still end up sort of shitting all over them because they don't know how else to do uh, with, with the situation because they don't have any experience in that case. I wanted to change. I, I want sort of this new era of, of communication and being online to be a lot more engaging artistically and sort of within the kindness itself. And, and that's the thing that bothers me is that it seems to be sort of vicious in, in a way that it doesn't have to be. You know, I mean, do you really get off making the shitpost comments to people? Uh, without any filter. And we see this happen with, with foreigners when they go overseas as well. Uh, as I've said in the past, we call them going bamboo when they've just been in country too long. And they're sort of removed from things that have changed. And so you'll meet sometimes older foreigners who've been uh, living in the host country long enough that they've kind of forgotten that, that the world has kind of moved on. And so they're still sort of stuck in some racist attitudes or some very sort of mis misogynistic attitudes. And depending on which country or culture they're living in, then that, that it's probably acceptable. And, and if it is, they're probably getting a free pass to be excused. Well, they're just a foreigner, so they're a weirdo. So nobody sort of uh, says, hey, you know, we probably don't say that anymore. Or really, is that your attitude? Is that how you really feel? So the, the critical thinking component for self-analysis goes away. And so they get stuck and then they hit a plateau with arrested development. Um, that's another reason why I don't spend a lot of time with foreigners overseas because one, it's a transitory uh, vibe because people come and go. And so even if you meet somebody that's cool, they'll probably be gone within a year. And so there's some apprehension in that case. The other aspect is you might people uh, might meet people like this situation who uh, maybe have married locals um, you know, usually not age appropriate. Their family life is, you know, not a lot of uh, conversation per se. It's it's odd for me. It's not something that, that I was able to do or could do, I think. Um, although these days, as I'm, I'm procrastinating here, procrastinating here, uh, doing my daily chores and so forth, yes, it would be nice to have some help. <laughs> English could be an option. It doesn't matter at this point. Um, and sometimes I've had that experience where I've, I've worked with uh, people that didn't speak a lot of English uh, that were actually awesome to work with because, you know, they just generally cared about what you're doing without really understanding the full ramifications of, of why you're doing it. They're doing it because they like you. And so what's wrong with that? So I, I do understand that aspect of it, but do I want to base my next relationship or marriage around that aspect? No, I, I can't say that I do. In, in fantasy land, um, 
you know, I've always said I don't want to date myself, but I would like to have somebody that has maybe more interests in common with me. Uh, my last relationship, I'd say music and travel was a big part of the things that brought us together, even though we didn't you know, like the same music or even sort of the same travel uh, destinations, but we were able to, to teach each other, introduce each other about those things. Uh, because again, it was the common thread. Once you don't have that, like COVID situation where uh, it's not so easy to travel, then that, that gets kind of taken off the board. Uh, if I'm depressed for a year in the basement of my in-laws, I'm not gonna be too interested in music either. Um, so now if I'm trying to redesign my life where I want to uh, train pretty regularly and pretty heavily, uh, my body and my abilities, not only in the gym, but uh, maybe in the creativity and content, then I need, I need some, somebody on that vibe, right? Because that, that can add to it uh, as opposed to take away from it. Like, oh, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. You get a lot of negative feedback sometimes because uh, people would prefer that maybe you're focused on them instead of focused on yourself or doing things for other people. And I also understand the reasoning behind that. It's a, it's a challenge. Uh, when I hear about people in uh, poly or open relationships, that they've they indicated that obviously there's that infatuation, uh, infatuation period where you know the new playmate comes along, and, and so the, the person puts all their focus there and sort of neglects you know the the, the main person at home, and, and so there's a lot of balances in there. So I don't know. That's even when that option was 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 put on the table for me, I was apprehensive because I couldn't see how it would work out long term. To me, it was just another another piece of bailing wire and uh, duct tape on this relationship that probably should have ended uh, a long time ago. Um, but kudos that we that we tried. You know, and there, definitely, there's a part of me that would still try. But that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> it's probably just not a good thing. I, I don't want to be the center of someone else's misery, or at least be in the position where I get blamed for making them unhappy. And so now at this point, if they're on their own, they will have to determine for themselves uh, whether what they're doing is making them happy or they're satisfied. It has nothing to do with me anymore. That's very liberating. I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm lightened by it because I can just do my shit. <laughs> I, it's very intoxicating. It really is. I mean, I kind of probably always did to a certain extent, but then I would I would jump off and back off. You know, all I need is one comment from my significant other at the time, and you know, it would just totally set me off. So, yeah, a lot more healing and a lot more self work. Um, before I become fit for human consumption. And plus I don't go anywhere I'm not invited. Thank you, Lost Boys. And so it's very funny when people invite me directly. And so I show up uh, because that is the rules that we've made for ourselves in this strange construct of some kind. So that being said, I will take what's left of this surge of energy and begin my projects. I've got the house kind of uh, set up in uh, different quadrants and I've kind of 
prioritize what my quadrants are. Obviously, the kitchen stuff is is an ongoing thing. And so what I'm learning, of course, is the magic that happens when you have uh, an awesome partner that sort of takes care of the house. Um, it runs sort of seamlessly, right? The problem is, is that if that becomes that becomes the the knife that they stick in you every time, um, it gets kind of old in that sense. And so again, no more, no more hassle. You know, I can actually just leave all this shit here. I don't want to because I might, I might want to have some company or I might want to have a better sort of environment for self-care. If I'm talking about building constructs in our mind and the constructs in our physical world are also important. And so you can't, you can't live in a, in a, a messy pile of stuff. You know this. We all know it. And so uh, we just got to crack down and, and get into those systems or habits of maintaining things and keeping keeping up the appearances, so to speak, just, just for our own self. Um, maybe not. Maybe you want to live like a, a hoarder or a, you know, a, re, a reclusive person in their piles of uh, filth and crusted record dead. Ah, that's not where I'm at right now, you know? I've got a nice place and I want to keep it nice. I've got nice things. And I, I, you know, I know my partner says, well, they're just things, whatever else. I mean, I, if I even begin to think about the nice things that I have in China, that maybe we'll get here someday in the future. I'm not sure. Um, it's, uh, you know, yeah, it is stuff. And, I, and, and we can't be too attached to it, obviously. But if I'm going to make this work for myself, then why not enjoy it? And if, if surrounding myself with, the little things that, that, that make me happy, then I should do that, right? All right. Encourage you to do the same thing, too. We will go back out to uh, Park Hill Cemetery um, maybe later in the week. We'll talk to the staff there and find the exact plot. I do want to still visit uh, Basil or Wolverton um, and uh, keep, keep, keep him out there. Yeah, I was happy to hear that uh, other artists... Uh, from cartoonist K-Fab, K-Fab, uh, Ed Pisker does the Red Room. He's a fan. Um, I think a lot of underground artists are also fans. And so if you don't know anything about Basil Wharton, some great clips on YouTube um, as well. Of course, everything's on YouTube. And uh, some pretty good looking books from Fantagraphics as well, if you want to really go deep dive. Uh, lots on the internet as well. I think, I think what you'll see is some of the same things that I see which is for the period of, of time that that creation broke, you can see how, how really far out it was. You know, we're talking, you know, post-World War II, uh, doing freaks and, and sort of things like this, that just amazing ink work uh, that we sort of lose in the digital world now. It's one of the reasons why I still try to monkey around by hand is, is that, again, you get those happy accidents that can do things that you can't do so so digitally, especially like uh, cross-hatching uh, in a way that produces grayscale that's effective. So I thought that was pretty astute uh, that those guys had also said something similar uh, in that case. We will uh, continue to give Palava and continue to talk to people and record them and um, edit down what they have to say and try to push that out there for you guys. I think that's also important. Um, if you have questions, you have comments, pretty easy to find. And I'm always curious about what people have to say about this kind of stuff. So we'll leave it at that. Thanks for your time. Um, be good to yourself. 
create a space for yourself so you can be creative. Uh, don't take any shit. Uh, stand up for yourself. You are worth it. And uh, tomorrow is another day. So carry on. Take care.